to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. so glad that you're with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to Psalm 33 today. Psalm 33. We'll spend some time in Psalm 33 and then uh, walk through a number of texts today. As I answer the question, how does God bless a nation? How does God bless a nation? How would God bless America, for example? Or how has God blessed nations over the years? And uh, it's a fair question to ask. It's also a difficult question to ask and answer in a day when Uh, You know a nation is not perfect. You know it's far from that. Lots to be grateful for, as we've said. Lots to be grieved about. How does God bless a nation, though? This is part of our series, the first message in our Dear God series. It's a series of tough questions that people have today that maybe we haven't answered or maybe we don't know the answer to and need to spend some time with. For example, next week we'll look at questions like, uh, where is God when evil happens around us? Where was God during the Holocaust? How does, how does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Those are great questions all centered around that main theme I just mentioned about that tough question. We'll talk about transgenderism and gender dysphoria uh, in three or four weeks down the road. And how does a Christian approach that? What does the Bible say? How do we uh, lovingly lead and speak truth in a, in a culture that is not listening to truth? Those are some tough questions that God has answers to in the Word, and He has every answer that we can ever need in the Word, which I believe is all sufficient for us. So today, how does God bless a nation? And uh, would you stand with me as we read Psalm 33 together, beginning in verse 6 of Psalm 33. Now, you need to know right away that uh, Psalm 33, as was all the Old Testament, was written to the people of God, Israel, in the Old Testament era. And some of the things that you read in the Old Testament are direct promises to the nation Israel, God's chosen people. But at the same time, there are many principles in the Old Testament that apply to us today exactly in our circumstance and situation. This is one of those chapters that apply to us, those spoken to Old Testament Israel. Psalm 33, beginning in verse 6, starts in a really familiar spot, the creation of the world. It says this in verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their lights. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He puts the depths in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And for me, that's not hard to do. When I look up at the sky every morning and look at the God who created all this, it's all inspiring for me to remember that. Verse number nine. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord nullifies nullifies the plans of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The plans of the Lord stand forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of mankind. From his dwelling place he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. The warrior is not rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for victory. 
nor does it rescue anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who wait for his faithfulness to rescue their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, and our heart rejoices in him because we trust his holy name. Let your favor, Lord, be upon us just as we have waited for you. What a song. What a word of encouragement for us today. It basically says when you wait on the Lord, when you look to the Lord, God will bless those around you through you by your relationship with him. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to us today, answering the question, how would you bless a nation? And that question really begins with how would you bless us? Father, I pray that you would give us a place at this space, at this time, to know what our role is in the nation that we live in. And Father, I pray that you would move in a powerful way in our hearts for us to grab hold of our responsibility and our opportunity in a day like this. Father, thank you for all you've done and all you're going to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. Well, this is Independence Weekend. Most of you uh, are doing some sort of celebrating. Um, I don't know what you do with fireworks. You may go somewhere where fireworks go off. I was raised in a small town where we're fortunate to have all of our fingers because we could pop all the fireworks we wanted to pop on July 4th weekend. We could eat all the barbecue we wanted to eat. And I grew up celebrating July 4th in a really, really big way. I love America. I really do. I was brought up to have a fascination and and be grateful for all the freedoms that we have in America. There was a couple of television shows my dad and I used to watch regularly when we were growing up. We would lay on the floor, this hardwood floor, and we would watch a black and white television. And, and it's not that the TV was black and white, but the picture was, for some of you that don't know what the difference is. <laughs> and we would watch the Dallas Cowboys lose to every opponent that they played when Don Meredith was the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. How many of you know who Don Meredith is? Would you raise your hand? Okay, some of you know that woebegone era, a horrible era in Cowboy football. We would also watch war movies. My dad was a a Navy pilot and a mechanic in the Korean conflict years ago. And so we would watch war movies in in black and white television. And and I gained an appreciation for the sacrifice that was made around the world for the freedoms that people enjoy. I love America. I love the fact that I can be grateful for so many things that God has done in America. It's very evident to me that part of the reason that God has blessed this nation is because Many of the founders and many of the laws that went into the making of America had great Christian and biblical values. Not all of them. Certainly, America had its dark places. It had its dark laws. It had its dark movements as well. But God has blessed America. I think it's undeniable that he has. And it's really, really important for us to know what our role in America is today. Because America is not the same America that it was even five years ago and 10 years ago and 30 years ago and certainly not 100 years ago. How many of you remember that, that old hymn, that old song, God Bless America? Who hasn't heard that? And when you hear that song, I don't know what it evokes in you, but I went back and did some study of God Bless America a number of years ago. Irving Berlin was the one who wrote that song. And he wrote it back during the 20s. It wasn't released till 1938. But it was a song that was written to be a prayer for America. It wasn't a song of expectation that God ought to bless America just because we're America or because we just want him to, but it was a song that basically says, in 1938, 
with all the rise of Nazi Germany and fascism in Europe and all the wars that were happening and taking place uh, that were almost unstoppable at the time, it was a prayer, a song that was a prayer that said, God, please bless our nation. Please help us go the right way. Please help us make the right decisions while seeing God bless America. I think about those kinds of thoughts. But it also begs the question, how can God bless America? I mean, I remember preaching a message years ago when I was a young pastor, and the title of the message was, Why Should God Bless America? Because there were so many things about our country that were in conflict with truth and with the Bible and with God and with good. And I wondered, why should God bless America? And I've come to realize that God can bless America, but not just because of America, not because of its national interests. God will bless a nation. God will bless any nation when those who follow him in that nation allow them to be a, a blessing through them. And that's really the heart of what I want to share with you today. Everything in Psalm 33 talks about how individuals, all of us, look to God and ask God to work in our lives as we obey Him, as we follow Him. And through that, God blesses those around Him. Sometimes people find Old Testament passages referring to Israel and say, well, God ought to bless America because He wrote those words. But America is not Israel, as you know. But the Bible does teach that God can bless any nation through those who hope and fear Him in a healthy way. Part of Psalm 33 is this verse, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness. Now, can I just make a statement to you today that's important to keep in mind? As much as we may talk about a nation, as much as we may talk about America on any given day, there is a bigger kingdom coming, and I hope you keep that in mind. There's a bigger kingdom coming and a bigger king coming, a monarchy, and his name is Jesus Christ on the throne. And no matter how much we talk about the here and now, we also have to keep in mind there is a kingdom coming Amen. that is undefeated and always will be, and Jesus Christ is on the throne. So have this perspective with me. We are, we are dually citizens of earth and of heaven at the same time. We've got to live in the here and now while at the same time watching for the eternal to come. Paul wrote to the church at Rome under heavy Roman rule of the time. And he wrote to that church and said this, for our citizenship is in heaven. No matter how bad it gets for you on earth, our citizenship is in heaven, which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Though so I know my king hasn't arrived yet. I know the one that I worship and trust in is not yet here physically on the earth. And at the same time, even though things sometimes seem dark in our nation and dark in other nations in the world, it's important to remember that God is sovereign and God is on the throne. That's why I'm glad we're dual citizens, citizens of earth and citizens of heaven. So how do we live in a day and time like this? Max Licato explains God's omniscient sovereignty in this way. He said, it's like viewing a movie after you've read the book. When something bad happens, others may be disturbed, but you're not disturbed because you know how the story ends. Just like the song we've been singing a few moments ago. I read the Bible. I know how the story ends. I know the king is coming. 
and the king is undefeated, and the king is King Jesus. I know that's going to happen someday. So no matter how bad it gets, no matter how good it gets, I don't get too excited or too dismayed because I know this is not the final story, and I know the way the story ends, and that story ends well. So how, then, do we live in the middle of that story until the story ends well? How would God use people to bless their nation? Well, I took a journey all all the way through the Old Testament and then coming back into the New Testament, and I've identified five different ways that I want to share with you today. And I know that you will each pick up at least one or two of these ways that God can bless those around you through your walk, through your obedience with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the way God will bless those around you is through your faithful walk with him. And I want you to take note of these five things because these five things are ways to live that make a difference around us. So first of all, we'll start with a man named Daniel. Daniel prayed. Daniel prayed. I mean, that's the first point, Daniel prayed. Here's a man, Daniel, that most of us know a lot about in the Old Testament. It's a phenomenal book, the book of Daniel. Daniel prayed while in Babylon in exile. In other words, he was carried out of his homeland into Babylon Babylon, and served the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, as a subject of that kingdom. And God, through Daniel, intervened in the life of that nation. In fact, those kings and that nation were radically different after Daniel's presence and after Daniel's prayer than they were before. That is such an incredible encouragement. And we could talk a lot about Daniel. Daniel 1 talks about Daniel being a man without compromise. He drew a line. He said, I will not compromise. I will not give in to the king's commands to do something contrary to what my God wants me to do. We saw him being a man of courage. We saw uh, Daniel's life being one that He heard from God and interpreted dreams. So many things we could say about Daniel. But the overriding character of Daniel's life is that Daniel prayed. Daniel's prayer life was the subject of conversation in that kingdom. Ultimately, it sent him to the lion's den. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Daniel's life was a life of prayer. It was a foundation for everything else he did. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, Daniel prays this way. He says, May the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the periods. Now, take note of this. God changes the times and the periods. He removes kings and appoints kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to people of understanding. That's the God we pray to. The God who spoke and the world came into existence is the same God who can appoint kings and remove kings at will. Daniel's praying to this God under a heavy rule of Nebuchadnezzar. God, we know you can change things. We know you can radically change this man's life, this king's life, and you can change this nation, even though I'm just a prisoner here. Now, maybe you recall the story of how Daniel prayed for Nebuchadnezzar and for that kingdom, Babylon, and how everything changed all of a sudden. If you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar, he became proud of all the accomplishments he had done and one day stood at the wall of a city looking out and said, I'm so proud of everything I've built. Look at all the kingdoms that I've taken over. Look at the the big buildings and projects I've completed. And he uh, he was at the pinnacle of pride and God struck him down. You may also remember that Nebuchadnezzar ended up crawling on the ground like an animal for a long space of time until he came to himself. All the time, Daniel was praying while God was taking Nebuchadnezzar through that period of time. 
I'm convinced that Daniel's prayers had a great deal to do with Nebuchadnezzar's fall and later his repentance. By his own testimony, Nebuchadnezzar eventually said, I raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High. What a prayer for a pagan king. Daniel prayed, and this pagan king sounded like a worshiper on the front row of a worship service. I came to myself. I put my eyes on God. That didn't just happen once in Daniel's time in Babylon. It also happened with another king, Darius. Some of the counselors of Darius wanted Daniel to be punished because of his prayer life. His prayer life was vivid. It was regular. He would pray uh, while opening the windows of his, uh, of his housing quarters, and people would see him praying. They feared his prayer. They wanted his prayers to stop because he was such a praying man. And so many amazing things happened as a result of his prayer. So they issued an edict, a law, and, and eventually threw him into the lion's den. Now, you know the story of Daniel in the lion's den? And that story was a great story. We know the end of it because we've read the Bible. But his praying saved him in the midst of that lion's den and brought about another revival in Babylon as he prayed from the lion's den. You and I think we have to be in positions of power. We just have to know who is in a position of power, our God. Daniel prayed and Babylon changed I've seen God do some amazing things through prayer, but the Bible gives us over and over the examples of the fact that we must be a people of prayer for our nation. And when we pray for our nation, when you pray for America, God can work in America like never before. You must believe that. I talked to someone the other day who expressed difficulty in praying for our country, and I get it. It's hard sometimes to pray for our country, but don't stop praying for America. Like Daniel, we can do nothing well until we prayed. And we must pray steadfastly for our nation and for the world around us. Daniel prayed, be a Daniel. Be a Daniel. Let God use you as you call out to him to change the world around you. Daniel prayed. Well, as I read my Bible, I found yet someone else that God used to bless the nation, and that's the man named Joseph. Through Joseph's leadership, Egypt was blessed. Babylon was blessed through Daniel's prayers, and now Joseph was used to bless Egypt. Now, we know the story of of Joseph, and we know the the favor that his father gave him, the story of the many-colored coat, the resentment of his brother. We've recently walked through a message or even a message series about that. We remember his rises and falls, all the circumstances in his life, and eventually he ended up being placed as second in command to the leader of Egypt, Pharaoh. And he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams in such a way where Pharaoh says, okay, nobody else has interpreted it like that. Through Joseph's prayer life, God gave him the interpretation that it was going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And as a result of all that God did in Joseph's life and placing him there, as a result of his prayer life and his insights from God, he was promoted to second in command in all of Egypt, a phenomenal kind of rise. In Genesis chapter 41, verse 39, the Bible says, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You shall be in charge of my house, and all my people shall be obedient to you. And Daniel, I mean, Joseph did exactly what God told him to do. 
Seven years of plenty, set aside food for the storehouses. The seven years of famine, everybody was fed in Egypt, and everybody in Israel also was fed. So God used this man, Joseph, not only to bless Egypt, but to bless Israel, all because of his faithfulness to God. Listen, God can use any one individual to change the course of a nation, just like we read in the Scripture a moment ago. And he wants to do it in your life in some ways. Well, what about Queen Esther? Queen Esther was in a very similar role as Joseph. She was placed in an unusual series of events to be the queen to the king, Ahasuerus. And she was in a position of rescuing all of Israel. We all know this famous line in, in uh, Esther chapter 4, verse 14. It's where Mordecai says to her, you've been placed in this amazing position of influence. And he says, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Now, you and I may not be a Joseph, and you and I may not be an Esther. We may not be a king or a queen. We may not be second in command anywhere at all. We don't have the freedom of walking into a throne room and saying, this is what someone needs to do. But we do have freedom to run for office. We do have freedom to be in a position of leadership. We do have freedom to vote for the things that are morally valuable and truth that God has given us to do with. I always encourage people who are in our nation, vote. Run for office. Let the truths that you know are God's truths to come through you. God's truths are good for everybody, not just for you. It was uh, Tim Keller that said something a few years ago that was so important. He said, Christians cannot pretend that they can transcend politics and simply preach the gospel. Those who avoid all political discussions and engagement are essentially casting a vote for the status quo. American churches in the early 19th century that did not speak out against slavery because that was what would be now called getting political were actually supporting slavery by doing so. To not be political is to be political, Tim Keller said. What about the voice God has given us? What about the truth he has placed inside of us? It has to be spoken. It's important to vote. It's important to run for office. Lead the way by exercising all the freedoms we have in our nation. And God may well bless our nation through you and through your service. It wasn't so long ago, just a few months ago, that a local school board was considering and actually practicing some very objectionable things to parents. Objectionable because of some of the radical truths that were being shared in public school classrooms that thousands of kids were being exposed to. After realizing what was going on, several individuals, including a few from this church, actually uh, began to publicize what was happening and found a leader that would run for election. They elected that leader and overturned some of the worst things that were happening with our school. There's a lot of activists out there today, a lot of political activists that would like to promote things that are contrary to God's Word. It's so important for God's absolute truths to be represented in our nation today because here's the deal. When a nation moves away from the truths and the ways of God, all of us will feel the judgment of God on that nation. And God has a history of judging nations that turn their back on Him. 
We won't all be worshipers in the same way, but we can all respect the truths that God has given us in the Word of God. And we need some pretty salty people to be able to stand up during those difficult times against really aggressive political activists today in order to keep our communities closer to absolute truth than the relative meandering that often happens. God will never bless that kind of thing unless we align with his truths. It's so important for us to realize we all have a different role. And it's not going to be the same as the other. But what we do have is that opportunity to lead like Joseph led. We have the opportunity to lead like Esther led. And you and I can help be a blessing to those around us by doing those things. So Daniel prayed. Joseph and Esther led. Jonah preached. Jonah is this little book in the Bible, four chapters, and uh, it doesn't take long to read the book of Jonah, but man, what a great, great story Jonah is. It's really the story of one of the greatest revivals in history where a whole city, Nineveh, in the nation of Assyria, was under the judgment of God. God was going to destroy Nineveh. And this reluctant prophet named Jonah was called to go and preach that gospel, that repentance, if you would, to the city of Nineveh. Many of you know Jonah because he's associated with the whale that swallowed him. And I love the story, the way it unfolds. It's so fun to read because it says this man was running as fast as he could away from God, and God sends a big fish to swallow him up. And the Bible says, actually in the Bible, it says that the fish hurled him out onto the shore. I love that the Bible uses the word hurl. Don't ask me why. I just like it. On the seashore, right where he needed to be in order to preach to Nineveh. God has a way to place us in the right places at the right time to bless a nation that we may be reluctant to bless. But that was the life of Jonah. And even though he was reluctant, he marched through the city of Nineveh and preached repentance. He told the people that they should turn to God, and when they did that, God saw and relented. Let me read the result of that. Jonah 3.10 says, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, if you're tracking with me, you're watching someone like Daniel causing blessing to happen to Nebuchadnezzar and to Babylon. You're watching a Joseph cause blessing to go to Egypt. You're watching a Jonah to cause blessing to go to the city of Nineveh in Assyria. Are you getting the, the pattern here? When people are faithful to God, when people obey God, and God can use them, he blesses those around him, sometimes whole cities, sometimes whole nations, because of the obedience of one. Amen. What has God called you to do? Jonah preached. You know, we're all preachers in some sense of the word, and we preach the gospel everywhere we are. While under Roman rule, the Apostle Paul reminded the church that praying and preaching were two of the most important things the church could do. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2, those first four verses are really, really important at this time of a year where we think about our nation, we think about the responsibilities that we have with that nation. Here's what Paul said. First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. And then he gets very specific for kings and all those who are in authority. That's why every sitting president has a place on my prayer list. I pray for Joe Biden all the time. 
I pray for Trump before then. And I pray for all the presidents before then for years and years and years. Why? Because of this command right here. Pray for kings and all who are in authority. It goes on and says, so that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Prayer and preaching. Preaching and prayer. That's what Paul said to those in the church uh, in, during Roman rule time. Now you preach everywhere you go. You say, Pastor, when do we preach? I'm not talking about preaching like from a pulpit right now. I'm not talking about preaching like Jonah preached as he marched through the city of Nineveh. But you preach everywhere you go. We preach everywhere we're shining light and sprinkling salt. Did you know that? We preach when we're in our neighborhoods and we reach out and help hurting friends. We preach in our community ministries when we feed someone that's hungry. We clothe someone that's poor and can't put clothing on themselves. We preach to those looking for answers with unplanned pregnancies or solutions to challenges in the home. We preach in public schools when we enter into those schools and teach kids the scripture in after school ministry time. We preach wherever we're a witness to the hurting. And our message is Jesus is the answer. The world's not the answer. The government's not the answer. The community's not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jonah preached. We should preach. And wherever we preach and wherever we pray, God may well use us to bring blessing not only to those immediately around us, but to those in our community and our world. Daniel preached. Joseph, Esther led. Jonah preached. I mean, Daniel prayed, I should say, and then Jonah preached, and then the apostles stood firm. By the time you get to the New Testament, the apostles began to be uh, key leaders in the movement of the kingdom of God. And as they began to be those key leaders, they began to be opposed at every turn. Now, you have to remember the church was born in the midst of the Roman Empire under Roman rule. And as a result, it ended up being quite persecuted during the first 100 to 200 years of the church. Most of the time, most of the time, when historians compare nations at different eras, they compare modern-day America with ancient Rome in the first century or two. We're very much alike in so many different ways. Early Rome was, republic, was a republican country, just like America is a republican country, a representative form of government. Ancient Rome was blessed with great material wealth, so is America. Ancient Rome eventually turned its back on truth and reality and began to pursue all kinds of pleasurable things apart from the help of the nation. And in the same way, so has America in so many ways, so many comparisons there. By the New Testament, apostles were walking out the ministry of God in early Rome. Often they were commanded to be silent about Jesus. I mean, the Roman government didn't want to hear a lot about Jesus. And the, the, the Israeli leaders, the Judah, Judaism leaders, didn't want Jesus to be preached. Many of the scribes and the Pharisees that actually helped put him to death under the hand of Rome wanted Jesus' name not to be mentioned. And so as you read the book of Acts, you see these important moments where the apostles stood firm against the pressure and the persecution that was coming. For example, in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says, in answer to those who were told to be quiet about the name of Jesus, 
The apostles said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, make your own judgment, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. In other words, Jesus has made such a huge difference in our lives, we're not going to be quiet. And as a result of those, many were coming to faith in Christ in spite of the persecution. Now, there are times in history where Christian followers of Christ just have to stand firm, where they, where they can't make much progress this way or that way, but they just have to stand firm, sometimes in the face of persecution. And I fear we're moving that way in America today, where it's costly to own your faith in Jesus Christ, but it's still the way of blessing. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. In other words, it doesn't matter what you say and it doesn't matter what you try to shut down in the way of our message in our life and the fact that we follow Jesus Christ, we're going to obey God rather than man. And the New Testament church was focused solely on living out the Christian principles of the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to hear this. This is interesting. The New Testament church numbered about 1,000 people by 100 A.D. in Rome. And Rome was growing rapidly. By 350 A.D., there were 33 million believers in Rome. They went from 2% of the population to over 50% of the population in 300 years. And most of those 300 years were years in which oppression and persecution was taking place. Tens of thousands of believers were put to death just because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In spite of the persecution... More and more people came to follow Jesus because those apostles stood firm. And here's what I want you to hear today. The New Testament church, birthed in persecution, birthed in a difficult kind of nation in which you can live and be inspired, and yet it thrived in the face of opposition. If the New Testament church can thrive in ancient Rome's heavy hand, you and I can thrive in America. If ancient... Christianity was able not only to survive, but to impact people and bring them to salvation through the preaching of the gospel, through the praying to this amazing God that answers our prayers. Then today, in this day and time, you and I do not need to be pessimistic about the influence we have in our country today. We're still the church. God is still God. Governments will be governments. But the reality is we are called to stand firm. I'm calling to stand firm. So Daniel prayed, Joseph and Esther led, Jonah preached, the apostles stood firm, Jesus focused. In one of the most riveting moments of Jesus' trial before Pilate at Praetorium, he was asked, are you a king? He was being mocked, he was being ridiculed in so many different ways. And so Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus answered with this answer. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Jesus' focus wasn't on political upheaval, but on personal repentance and redemption. And he, he walked it all the way out, died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he knew that building the kingdom of God would flavor and influence not just that nation, but 
any nation as it does today, just as it did in the Old Testament times and all those examples of all those different nations, just as it does today. A coming kingdom, which will come one day, will close it all out. And we should never lose sight of that hope. But until then, we trust that God can bless those around us by us being obedient and faithful to God. You know, the movie that we're watching hasn't ended yet. Talked about that a few moments ago. And you may feel like you're in crisis. But the reality is God is not worried. He's not concerned. One day we'll see how it all ends and it will end well. James Dennison recently shared an excellent quote. He said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not exclaim, mine. I want you to remember that when things look out of control. But I think maybe the most important question is one that James Dennison poses as well. Can he say the same thing of your life and your obedience today? And Christ, look at your life and say, they are mine. And I'll be the one that wants to tell you today, if, if you belong to Christ, Christ can bless those around you and even your nation through you. As you allow him to do that, God blesses people and nations through individual believers who know how to follow him and fear him. It's God blessing others through your life. It's very simple. He blesses others like Daniel's praying and Joseph's leading and Jonah's preaching and the apostles standing firm and Jesus focused. We all have a place. But are you his? Are you his? In just a moment, we'll give an invitation And really the most important invitation today is asking and answering the question, am I his? Do I fear the Lord? Do I honor the Lord? Do I obey the Lord? Because if I do that, then wherever I am, I'm going to be a blessing to those around me. And whatever nation I'm a citizen of will be blessed because I am literally walking out the kingdom agenda, the kingdom priorities, the focus that God has for me. But are you his? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you given your life to him? And have you become faithful to him above all other agendas, above all other priorities that you may hear about in your lifetime? Are you giving him the first place in your life? In just a few moments as we close, my invitation will be for you to stop by the decision station and and ask that question and find that answer. Am I giving my life to Jesus? Am I letting him be Lord and Savior of my life? I have a second invitation for you today as well. I know it's a holiday weekend, but I'd love to spend just a few moments with you after the worship service in the guest reception room. Stop by. Just let me share a little bit about Cross City Church and what God is doing here. And then thirdly, invite someone to come back with you next week. We have invite cards that are out there. I'm going to be answering the question, where is God when bad things happen that are unexplainable in any other way? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer today? Father, today I want to thank you so much for these examples of those that have walked the walk of faith that you've used in such a powerful way. It astounds me that people like Jonah and people like Daniel can be the cause of blessing in some of these clearly pagan nations, clearly wicked agendas, and yet somehow, God, you've used these individuals. Today my prayer is that you'll help us be inspired to be those kinds of individuals the kind of people that God uses around and affects people around them. 
Father, today, for those that have never given their lives to you, I pray that that question could be answered today. They step forward to talk about their faith, their personal faith in you. Lord, let them know that they are loved, that you have a plan for their life, that you can forgive sin, that you can restore lives. Today, we pray for those decisions. Thank you, Father, for the great things we can say about our country, but we also pray and give to you those grievous things, asking you to bring the change that needs to be brought to us and to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.